Find those sea guys. It's uh, it's good to be back. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Steve Hambrick. I'm lead pastor here at Vintage. That was my wife, Randall. And uh, if you don't know, we took the last few weeks and uh, just away from Vintage, and it was just a great time for us. And I want to say just thank you for all of you who text and encourage. It's just a time for us to kind of disconnect, rest, relax, recharge. Uh, and it was really, really great. It's one of those things while we were away, I learned I really don't, I didn't, didn't miss the work of Vintage at all, but I did miss the ministry to people and I did miss the relationships we have with you guys. We, you really are special to us. We really do love each of you and uh, we are thankful uh, to be part of the Vintage community and excited to see what God's going to do as we move forward in the future. Uh, speaking about the future, I did want to kind of give you a heads up of what's going on this year. So every year at Vintage, we always do this year-end offering piece and we give out different places. As we talked about this year, we felt like God was saying, hey, the real vision that he has for us, honestly, is to move from here to where he wants us to be, right, in the property that we possess. And so the idea this year, I felt like God is leading us to take all of our year-end gifts, if you're thinking about year-end gifts, and we're going to just roll those into what God is doing in the context of getting us from here to there. So this year, as you're looking, getting into December, you're looking towards year-end, you got two things. One, for those of you who have made rooted commitments, we just say, hey, we recognize a couple weeks ago, we said, hey, this would be the season, we know, for some of you to be really intentional with moving towards fulfilling uh, that rooted pledge. You should have received that email uh, from us just saying, hey, here's how much you've given so far and here's what you still have left to go. And then two, we know some of you are like, hey, just looking for year-end gifts and just want you to recognize giving at Vintage has always been and will continue to be a safe place to give kingdom gifts. That's where God is leading you, obviously, above and beyond your tithes and offerings. We'd love to invite you and encourage you to do that with great confidence as we will invest that into the kingdom calling that he has at Vintage. All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. We are in the first uh, week of, of Advent. And and it's really, really cool as you, um, even as we sing this morning, come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Like, I, here's the deal. Like, Christmas songs are a lot of times for us the songs that we sing, right? We, we grew up with them, so we liked them. They breed a sense of familiarity and memory. And so when we read them, they make us feel good because it just, it's like, yeah, I have memory attached to them. But, but when you think about the song, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, Basically, what it's saying is like, listen, we are held in chains. We are in bondage. We are captured by the culture in which we live and we need a savior to come. And so it is a song about the first coming of Jesus. But more importantly, as an Advent song, it is a song that we sing because I don't know if you know this or not, but we are still living in a world that's held in darkness, right? We are still living in a world where culture is trying to pull us away from our relationship with Jesus. And there is a reality that we are still bound by the physical realm. And we want Jesus to return so that we can then be face to face with him for eternity. Does that mean anything? Like, I just said that, and you just sat there like this. Right? And I wonder why. Like, I wonder as we sing those songs, and we talk about the movement of Jesus, and we talk about, come, O come, Emmanuel, and set us free. Are we aware of our need for Emmanuel? 
Like, are we aware of our need for a continual day in, day out Savior who breaks off chains, who sets us free, who does something that I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't do in your own power. And so as we sit here this morning, I wonder if we're still under the, the we, we still under the weight of tryptophan, right? From Turkey, right? That's the, the thing in Turkey that keeps you asleep, right? Like, are we still in the, this, the tryptophan phase? Like, oh, I just want to take a nap this morning, right? Like, or are we really at this point of saying, Jesus, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom, captive Israel, rejoice for he's coming. See, that's what Advent is all about. Advent is a season where millions of believers all over the world already this morning because of our certain time zone and their time zone and still yet to come. There are millions of believers all across the world unified in this Advent season of saying we need Emmanuel. We need to be awakened. We need Jesus together, unified. Going after this. So as a reminder this morning, Advent, it simply means the arrival of something or someone important. The arrival of something or someone important. Listen, when I was a kid, the advent of my birthday was my favorite thing in the world, right? It's like the advent, the arrival, the preparation mentally of me telling everybody around me, it's September 1, my birthday's in a couple of months, guys, September 14th. Write it down and don't forget, yes, I love gifts, right? Like I love the advent, the preparation of myself and of everyone around me for the advent of my birthday. It was my favorite day of the year. I could not wait for the arrival, the advent of my birthday. So I think so often we get lost in the language of advent season because who uses the word advent anymore? But all he's talking about is the arrival season, the arrival, the season of arrival. This two weeks, we're going to talk about the arrival of Jesus and his second coming. The last two weeks of Advent, we'll talk about the first coming of Jesus. But here, we're literally talking about the second coming of Jesus, something we look to, something that we hope for. Like the idea of hope in our culture is like, oh, I hope, maybe, what if, right? But the hope of the scriptures the hope of Scripture is all about a confident expectation of something that God promised. And so the idea is, in the context of Advent, the arrival of Jesus at his second coming, is that we live in hope, confident expectation that he's going to return, right? You think about that really good dog that just sits at the door and waiting in anticipation and expectation for the owner to return. And you can't sway the dog. You can't move the dog away. They're dead set right here. The owner's coming. The owner's coming. I'm going to sit here and wait. I'm going to sit here and wait. And when I hear the car coming from distance, I'm going to run and sit there. I'm going to be waiting. There's this idea here. In Advent, the arrival, the second coming of Jesus. I want you to hear these words. They're really, really important. The season of Advent is about focusing, focusing our attention, focusing our energies on both the first and second coming of Jesus. We, in Advent, and I want you to hear these words. These are really important. 
These words are really important. This is a season of refocus. It's a season where we recalibrate. It's a season where we re-engage our relationship with Jesus by focusing on this fact. If he came 2,000 years ago and he promised that he will come again, then he will. And so with that in mind, let me just come back all this, kind of rewind all this. And I want you to hear these words. Advent is a season where we refocus. Why do you refocus? Because everything in culture is trying to get you to take focus off. You want to refocus on Jesus, right? We want to end it. We want to recalibrate. You know, the word recalibrate is like something that's just a little bit off, right? We need to kind of look at it and figure out what's going on and turn the knob to get where it needs to go, right? I need to recalibrate in my relationship with Jesus. And I need to re-engage. You know what that means. Like, I was engaged, I am now not engaged, and I need to re-engage. You've all done that in the context of relationships that you're in, situations where I was totally involved, then I pulled back for a season, but I need to re-engage and get re-involved, right? That's what we're talking about. In the context of Advent, it is a season where we refocus, we re-engage, and we recalibrate ourselves. That's the whole point of why Advent was created. At the this, the season of Advent since, since its inception has been all about the people of God being honest about where they are in the context of their relationship with Jesus and taking needed steps to get their lives right and in order so that we are living the life that God has called us to live. The idea if we re-engage the idea that Jesus may be returning tomorrow, it will impact how you live today. Right? If you, if you, if you, if you re-engage, you reconnect, you recalibrate yourself, refocus on the idea that Jesus may be returning tomorrow, it will impact how we live today. Listen, as a husband, as a husband, when Randall goes out of town, I am very aware of the calendar and of when she will return. And I, whether she knows it or not, have instituted the 24-hour rule. The 24-hour rule, a lot of guys have this, is 24 hours before my wife gets home, I know I'm going to clean up the entire house, right? I'm going to wash the dishes. I'm going to get the girls to help to clean their rooms, right? I'm going to be down here doing the laundry, taking care of everything that's picking up the house. I'm going to vacuum, right? I'm going to do everything that I can to get the house neat and tidy in that 24-hour span to make sure that when she comes home, she walks into a clean house. Any guys like that in here, right? Yes, most of us are because we're not stupid. And so in this, right, we really we engage the 24-hour rule and we clean up, we pick up. And here's the thing about the 24-hour rule. I don't do it because I'm afraid Randall will be angry with me if I don't. Like I don't do it because I'm afraid she's going to be angry if I don't do it. I do it because I love her and I know that she likes to walk into a clean house. Right? Like, I know I do. I like to walk into a house like, oh, I feel better. I feel lighter. This is so helpful. Oh, gosh. Right. And I want to do that for her, not because I'm afraid of her, but because I love her. 
Not because I'm afraid of her response, but because I actually want her to be pleased because I love her. And so when we talk about getting our house ready for the return of Jesus, the goal of Advent and really the goal of Jesus, and hear this, is that we live our lives with a 24-hour rule that tomorrow could be the day he returns. In fact, that's why the early church fathers created Advent and the Advent season in the first place. Because there was such a spiritual malaise over the church around 500, 400, 500, 600 A.D., that the leaders of the church said, this is really, really dangerous. Like people have lost their zeal for God. They've lost their spiritual energy and their spiritual fervor. They're so defined by the culture in which we live. They've kind of pulled away. They've disengaged, right? They've lost their focus. So let's, so as they sat around and said, let's just form a season where we're really intentional about refocusing, reengaging, recalibrating. So we create the season of variety. The Advent season, we say, hey, let's live life as if Jesus is going to return tomorrow. Let's live life every day with a 24-hour rule, because if we live like he's returning tomorrow, what does it do? Like we said, it impacts how we live today, because we live with the hope that he's returning tomorrow. That's like a theme of Advent this week is the idea of hope that Jesus, if he came, we have hope that he will come again. We live with the confidence. And so the the question, do you think that we're prepared? Are you prepared? If he came tomorrow and came to your house, would it be ready for his coming? Or would it not be? So some of us have a level of excitement in this conversation. Some people are a little bit nervous. And that's what the whole Advent season is about. Like, we just want to reawaken people to the Advent that's coming in Jesus and the second coming. So it impacts how we live our life today. Jesus, probably one of the clearest messages about the Advent of Jesus is spoken about in Matthew 24 by Jesus. He wants to speak about his arrival. He wants to speak about his Advent, the second coming. So he says this, Matthew 24, I encourage you to read the whole chapter, not reading the whole thing, because it all talks about his Advent, his second coming, his arrival. But starting in verse 36, going to verse 44, it says this, But about that day, the hour of his Advent, the hour of his return... But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father, of when it's going to be. For in the days before the flood, with the flood we know about from the Old Testament with Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him.
Like, I don't know about you, but these aren't normal, like, Christmas, like, Christmas uh, scripture, right? Like, this is a massive warning. It's like a, hey, be careful or else, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but there is no love where there is not honesty. And so Jesus in the moments coming and saying, I love you too much to not be brutally honest and bring a warning to you. So he's coming in the moment being fully honest. It's it's a little bit difficult, right? He's talking about people being left behind and people who, who don't know him, people who weren't ready, right? It's like a difficult Christmas thing. He's saying, but this is super important. If you if you want me to, to love you, then you have to let me be honest with you. Like how many of you are brutally honest with your kids and it's because you love them? Right? Like you're brutally honest with your kids because you love them. You have difficult language. So in this like touchy-feely season, we're talking about baby Jesus, right? Like we have to get to the fact like, listen, this is the season of preparation because you might not get to Christmas because you might come tomorrow. Are you living life prepared for that? And so Jesus is simply just bringing a wake-up call. It's just a warning from Jesus about being aware of, awakened to, prepared. And he wants us to be intentionally present regarding our lifestyle in light of his coming arrival. In the context of his advent. Like the question you have to ask yourself, and we'll look right here. Are you living with a 24-hour rule every day that Jesus may be coming tomorrow? Like, are you living with a 24-hour rule? That's the purpose of the Advent season. It's to awaken us to a 24-hour rule. It's to awaken us to live a life of preparation. Like, every single one of us understands the wisdom of preparation. We recognize when there are crises or situations, it's really, really, really good to be prepared. Looking at preparation for different light, I think we all understand how easy it is to not be prepared for an important moment, whether it's good or bad. I think about... I was thinking about this week about the housing and banking crash of 2008. Like how many of you were aware of the coming crisis? You had a contingency plan in place and were absolutely ready for when it hits. I personally don't know anyone who was completely prepared, who was completely ready. In fact, I named the crisis and you get a pit in your stomach going, oh, right. Like I had a buddy of mine who went from being like a multimillionaire on a Monday to literally having lost everything by a Friday. And he was not prepared. Literally. Literally, from this to this in the span of like five days. Some of you are like, my gosh, I know people just like that. Some of you are like, that was basically my story. And so there's this reality, right? This coming crisis, it had come. But let me ask you this question. You weren't ready then, but, but you're ready now, right? And the idea, like, you literally live prepared. You live differently today because of this crisis, how you handle handle your assets, how you handle your investments, how you handle your business. If you have a mortgage with a bank, whether you know it or not, you're doing things differently today than 2008. All of us have been impacted by it. In that crisis, we weren't prepared, but now we are. So if it occurred again, what happens? You're prepared and that's a good thing. It's good to be prepared. I was just had a conversation with my grandpa years ago. 
I don't know. I was probably early college, and he was, uh, you know, he was a um, he was born early, like he was born during the Great Depression, right? So he he lived in the shadow of the banking crisis of 1929, the Great Depression that hit the Midwest, right? This everything that went down with the banking stuff, right? Like he was very very aware of it. So we were talking about that one day, how it impacted him, how it impacted his upbringing, right? And I said something about banks because I don't trust them. I'm like, oh, okay. What do you mean? I don't trust him. I'm like, well. Where is your money? He goes, not in the bank. I said, well, where is it? And he turned around and he looked at the antique kitchen table with a hollow spot in the middle. He said, it's all in right there. I'm like, you have all your money in the hollow spot in the antique kitchen table in the middle of your kitchen? He's like, yes. Then, well, what happens if the house burns down? He goes, well, that's safer than being in the bank, right? I'm like, have you heard the FDIC? I don't care, right? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, Grandpa, that's crazy, but here's the point. In 2008, guess what? He would have been prepared, right? He would have been prepared with everything he had. All of his assets are right there in the kitchen table, right? I don't know what happened to that kitchen table. I wish I did. So, but it's like, it's one of those deals, right? It's like, here he is having learned from the crisis, and now he is fully prepared for when the crisis comes. That's the idea of the Advent season. It's all about, hey, there's a crisis of the second coming that could be a crisis or it could be a gift. And that's going to be dependent on the life that you choose to live in Christ every day. He's coming and saying, hey, it's wise to be prepared the point of the story is this point of the story in Matthew is to wake them up to the coming crisis of Jesus' return. And he tells them, prepare, prepare your life. Listen, get a 24-hour rule. He wants them to live with that. See, see how he describes people before the great flood. It's interesting, right? Here he is, and they're completely just doing life. They're just going, marrying Un, like marrying, getting their kids off, they're building, they're just kind of doing life, completely unaware that this moment of the flood is coming. But here's Noah. No one was prepared for the coming judgment except for Noah. Noah was prepared. He was ready. If you read back and look at the story, he was living God-centered with his entire life. He was God-focused. And when the time came, he was ready because he had given himself to listening to and being in relationship with God, having his house ready, having his life ready for the coming of God. And the question we have to ask in the moment is, are we waking up? Do we hear Jesus' warning in the moment? Are we ready? And we're not getting our lives right and cleaning up so he won't be mad or to make us feel less guilty. No, we're doing it because he's worth it and we love him. Like that's where you begin to ask yourself, what does your relationship with Jesus look like? And what defines it? Is it guilt or is it passion, love, and zeal? Like, he should be everything. And he's calling us to wake up. This is a season not to, to, to be manipulated by the culture in which you live. Be manipulated by all the voices that are going on in media, social media, and elsewhere. But to hear the voice of God saying, this is the narrow path. Walk in it so you can have abundant life. That's the one it's talking about. 
We return. We return. We prepare. So the question, the questions we must ask this time of year, and hear this, everyone. Listen, pay attention, please. The question, to be honest with you, has nothing to do with Christmas, what you're getting for Christmas, or what you're getting someone for Christmas. This season, the questions that we ask have everything to do with our spiritual life. Am I living life prepared for the arrival of Jesus tomorrow? Let me ask it directly. Are you living life prepared for the return of Jesus tomorrow? Because the 24-hour rule is intact because you love him. Other questions. Are you living the spiritual life today you know that God has for you? Are you so Jesus-focused today that you are excitedly anticipating his possible return tomorrow? In the verses we read, Jesus names the heartbeat of the Advent season In verse 42, it just says very simply, verse 42, keep watch with anticipation, excitement, and joy because you don't know what day the Lord will come. It could be tomorrow. So keep your eyes focused. It could be tomorrow. Keep watch because you don't know what day the Lord will come. For those who are prepared, this is exciting. For those who aren't prepared, it may be scary. Isn't that the tension? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about in the context of your life. Like, I, and the, like, you know, it's like in the context of your, in, in, in relationships and whether it's your best friends or the, your spouse. Like, you know when you're living the life in that relationship you should be living and when you aren't. Right? And you feel a level of conviction. Oh, that's not the right way. I need to give more, I need to engage more, I need to love more, whatever it may be. And that's what we're talking about, living that life of being aware of the relationship I'm in with Jesus. And is it the priority? Am I giving the best of myself to it? So there's a few things we can pull from, uh, a couple of things from these scriptures. I'm going to pull a couple other things. I've just been kind of thinking about a lot for the last few weeks that, I, that fit in this moment. The first thing I want to see that we consider around the Advent season, the season of arrival, the season of preparation, the 24-hour rule is this. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. Verse, verse 44 in Matthew says this. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. We must be ready. Listen, in these, in these words, Jesus is talking to us as followers. And it's a simple phrase with great meaning because he puts the response, listen, he puts the responsibility on them to wake up. He puts the responsibility on them to prepare themselves. This was their alarm clock. This was their moment where Jesus is telling them to wake up. This is their warning, and they needed to listen to it. I'm sure, like me, you are around people, listen, who all the time act like they are waiting for a spiritual wake-up call of some sort before they get their lives right. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is your wake-up call. I have it in Scripture. It's not going anywhere. 
when you stand before me and you say, oh my gosh, I, I, I was one with a wake up call. He'll look at you and say, I lovingly gave it to you right here in Matthew 24 and you didn't listen. You have to be ready. We have to be ready. We have to wake up. Why? This is your wake-up call. And you, listen, you've heard this. If you grew up in church, this probably got shoved down your throat. But you are not promised tomorrow. Christmas may never come this year for us. He may come tomorrow. And we have to live recognizing we may stand before God tomorrow. And I want to be able to say to the Lord, I heard you, and I'm excited, and I live my life in preparation for this moment. I cannot believe it's finally here. This is what I live for. No fear. Holy anticipation. Holy excitement. Says God, I kept my, listen, you know I worked hard every day and was not perfect, but I worked hard every day to keep my house clean and live the 24-hour rule because I knew this moment was coming and this is worth it. This is worth the 75 years of being ready right now. The second thing we see, he says, understand. Understand. We see it in, in verse 43. He just tells the story. He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Listen, he comes and says, you have to understand. Like, it's not enough to know, but you have to understand the story. You have to understand this reality. It's a very, very clear word. Super simple. You just have to understand. He makes a statement here about an owner who has a house. And a thief breaks in because the owner has fallen asleep and is unaware. But, he's saying, if the owner had known when the thief was coming, he would have remained awake and kept the thief from breaking in. Like, I don't know if you read this and you're like, that's an odd analogy. Because Jesus is coming in the moment and he's literally comparing himself to a thief. Right? That's just a little bit odd. Jesus like, I'm a thief. Like, what? I thought you were a good guy, right? No, he's coming to us and like, no, I'm like a thief. I'm like a thief who, who, who would come at night and you're not ready. You're not prepared. But he's saying in the moment, if the master of the house had known when the thief was coming, he would have been prepared. But he didn't know. So he should have been living life prepared every day. That's the point of the story. He's saying, If he had known, he would have prepared, but he didn't, so he should have been prepared. You need to be prepared every day because I may be coming, and we want your house to be ready for his coming. Understand this. You must always always be living a life prepared for his coming. The third thing, this is this my own thing. You have to re-engage your first love or re-engage your primary love. Again, these are not found in these verses, but I really believe it's the underlying message Jesus is trying to get across to the people that he loves and to his followers. The idea is simple. If you are truly awakened to the love you have for someone, you were aware of their presence, their coming, and their going at all times. You were aware of the presence of those that you love. So my girls, right, we got life three. 360 app. Anybody hear the Life 360 app? It's kind of like Find My Friends, right? The girls call it the Stalker app. We call it the Loving app, right? 
Like, they call the stalker app because we're always able to follow them, see where they're going, see how fast they're going, see how many times they accelerated, watch their, turn on their phones, had hard braking, right? We always know where they're going, where they're, how long they're going to take to get to a place, and we're going to see that they're on their return home and make sure that they're safe. I know it sounds stalkerish, but it's really an act of love. Why? Because we are responsible for our girls, and we love them with everything inside of us, so we make sure to know where they are while they are under our house and under our roof with responsibility. We have responsibility. We want to know where they are and what's going on. Revelation 2, 4, and 5. I'm going to come back to that. It says, yes, I hold this against you to the church at Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. The idea for the church has always been clear. Listen, your spiritual life far outweighs your earthly life. Therefore, your greatest energy must be spent on cultivating your spiritual life and secondary on everything else, right? Primary energy given to your spiritual life that's eternal. Secondary energy to everything else. For if your, listen, for if your soul and your spirit are diminished, they're darkened or dead, then does anything else really matter? Does it matter what kind of car you drive, how much you make, where you vacation, if you are spiritually dead in the moment and bound by the culture in which you live? Jesus stated it clearly in Mark 8.36. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What is it? What is it? What does it gain someone? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The desire and expectation of Jesus for each of their, each of his followers, they would major on the major and minor on the minors. Maintaining a passionate and zealous relationship with Jesus is the priority. We need to be living Life 360 with Jesus, always aware of his coming, always aware of his going, because we love him and want to be with him wherever he is going, because the reality is wherever Jesus goes on Life 360 and he stops, that's where we are invited to. Because wherever he goes, the invitation is clear, that's where I want you to be. That's the type of relationship we have. I want you to make that your priority. I want you to have this as a season of remembering, right, of re-engaging, of recalibrating and refocusing. Because I could return tomorrow, institute the 24-hour rule, because I may be coming. I want you, listen, I want you to engage. I want you to understand. I want you to be ready. Tomorrow could be the day. And so in that moment, then we do what the second thing was here in verse 5, Revelation 2. Repent and do the things you did at first. Listen, I want to turn back towards Jesus. I want to move towards him. I want to engage activities that cause the love and our relationship to become a raging fire. I want to pursue him. I want to enjoy him like I did at the peak of my spiritual life. I want my primary activity to be about being with him and my being with him to lead me then to doing with him. And so in the context of that, let me just ask you this question. Do you remember the pinnacle of your relationship of first love with him? Do you remember what you gave yourself to? 
Do you remember the thought processes that were just going in and out of your mind of being with him, of, 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 of walking with him? Do you remember the tears that you shed? Do you remember the joy that was overwhelming? Do you remember the, this, the, this energy you had to share the gospel with people who did not know him? Do you remember the times you spent in prayer, the times in worship, just listening to people talk about the Bible? Do you remember your times in silence and solitude where it was like God's love just continued to to pour over you. Like, I can't get enough of him, but I want more of him, right? Like, it's too much for me to bear, but give me more. Like, do you remember that? Do you remember these moments? And he's saying to church at Ephesus, listen, you're doing, go back and read it. You're doing all the right things in the eyes of the church, but you're not doing it with your eyes focused on me and love and our relationship being the focal point. You're like, you forgot to major on the major, you're minoring on the minors, even though those things are good. Come back to me. Re-engage. Early church fathers said, this is what's lacking in the body of Christ. They're doing a lot of the right things. Man, they've lost their first love. I want them to engage a 24-hour rule again. I want them to re-engage, refocus, recalibrate. I want them to turn back to Jesus and do the things they're doing, not out of guilt, but because they love him. Here's the thing I'll say this morning as we end, and Aaron can come forward as we come back into a time of worship and ministry. I don't know what that looks like for you. Like I don't know what it looks like for you to return to your first love. I don't know what it means for you to do the things you did at first, because I wasn't there, right? I wasn't there. I don't even know what those are. I can't tell your story for you, but I can't. But Jesus can tell your story. He knows what the story is. He knows what those things are. He knows the things that he's speaking into you. We know these things engage, like these practices of silence, of listening to them, of solitude, just being with them. We know it in, involves your prayer life that's less about praying through a list and more about just engaging him in relationship. We know it's about reading scripture because we get to hear his voice that way. We know it's in worship where we just come and say, God, if we enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise because, man, you're just awesome and I can't stop singing. We know it involves all of these things in some form or fashion, but I don't know what it means with your time. And so I would say this this morning. We're going to go to a time here where I'm just going to say to you, can you just go be with Jesus and let him speak? And I don't mean like walk away with like, I'm going to, man, everything in my day is going to be different maybe, but like, is there just one thing you will say, God, to this week, to re-engage, God, I'm going to give myself to this. Maybe you name a place, maybe you name a amount of time, whatever it may be. God, I'm going to engage this this week because, God, I want to just take intentional time to refocus on you because, Jesus, I want to clean my house for you because I love you. It's where you dwell, and I want it to be beautiful for you. So, Jesus, as we come into this time, we just invite you, Jesus, to speak into this moment. Lord, you brought a warning to the church because you love them. You brought a warning to them because, Jesus, it was imperative that they woke up. It was imperative that they lived differently. And, Father, we just confess, Lord, we 
so often have a relationship with you because we have someone then to go to to get stuff from. And I thank you that we get stuff from you, but that has, that's not the priority of our relationship. The chief end of man, the reason we exist is to love God and enjoy you forever. Jesus, that's why we exist, to love you and to enjoy you forever. Father, in this December 1st entry point into Advent, would you do something in the next 25 days that makes us as individuals different and makes us as a church different? Come and have your way. So again, as we end our time, we have our offering baskets. This is worship for tithes and offerings. We have communion available every Sunday just to remember the work of Jesus. But then recognizing as we take it, there's grace in that moment always to live the life he's called us to live. We have ministry teams be available on both sides to pray for you. Maybe come and say, do you only know where to begin? Then let us pray for you to help you in that journey as you begin. Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. Like, see, I, I can't even celebrate a first love moment because I don't even know him. I don't have a relationship with him. I'm not walking with him. I've never given my life to him. And this morning, these teams can lead you to Jesus. They can introduce you to Jesus, the Emmanuel who came and who's coming again. If that's you, please humble yourself this morning and say, I just need Jesus. I need help getting to him. And let's let God this morning, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, as Aaron plays, would you just take time here to slow down and say, Jesus, I've been really, really busy, but I want to slow down because I want to hear exactly what you have for me today. I want to be awake. And just let him speak into that moment. So you respond as the Lord leads and take some time just to connect with him this morning. I'll come pray us out in a little bit.